Hey, welcome to this month's interview with an expert. We're going to be talking about all things cash flow and generating payments as compared to IELTA accounts and operations accounts and the importance of the transactional nature and some truths and some myths. And I'll be talking with my good friend, Dan Lear from Gravity Legal. Um, and he, he's got a lot of insight, not only on how this whole process works, but the technology of the process, some real tip, tips and tricks and tactics for you to be able to maximize your efficiencies. And really, all this is about increasing your realization rate uh, so that we can maintain uh, the, the amount of money that we're paid as compared to the amount of money that we invoice for. And additionally, increase our profitability because there are ways to actually pass the expense of the credit card charge onto your client and so that you don't have to eat that charge and it's becoming more and more of a common practice these days and there's nothing wrong with doing it i'm not going to get into a bar association guideline on that i'm just going to suggest from a business perspective and a client acceptance perspective they somewhat understand it um uh, so we're going to talk through that with dan and we're going to uh, get some insights from him and we're going to use the chat. So if you have any questions, we're going to keep everybody muted. So if you have any questions, you can go ahead and put it in the chat. And then if you have a question, you know, we need to get some clarity on, we'll bring you up. You can, you can ask that question live to Dan. Uh, also, there's no limit on questions you can ask. So if you're somewhere in the program, other than this conversation about getting paid and you have a question about something else, I'm available here to answer questions for you as well. So uh, you may, we, we like to say we meet you where you're at. You, who knows where you're at right now? And you may have some, what you think is non-relevant question. There's no wrong questions. There's no dumb questions. I know attorneys don't love to ask questions that may seem like the, it's a dumb question or make them look like they don't know the answer. That's just the reality of it. Remember, you've invested all of your money and resources and time into becoming a great a, an attorney. And most of you didn't invest a whole bunch of time, resources, and money into becoming a great small business owner. So there's a knowledge gap there, and we're here to fill that knowledge gap. So, uh, you know, don't feel like there's a dumb question. There is no such thing. Uh, I'll, I'll help you walk through it and understand what you need to know. So without further ado, uh, Dan, are you with me? I'm right here, Rich, and happy to be. Nice. Happy you're here as well. All right. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, those who are on the queue or on the dashboard, can you just go ahead and yeah, dashboard queue? How about Zoom? Zoom would be the right answer. Just go ahead and make sure that the chat's working. Go ahead and type in there. Good afternoon. Hello. Good to be here. Whatever. Just so I know you're live and we're good to go. God, hola. Good. Mike is Joseph Dickerson is believing that I can now speak Spanish after two days on duo. That's not the case. Um all right, so Dan, I'm going to let you drive, and then I'm going to ask you questions in between. But before you open up your slides, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and where you come from, and, and you know, matter of fact that you're you're part of their fraternity, right? You've got you you you've got your license or you've got your degree, you had your bar card, that whole nine yards. Why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, so real, really a pleasure to be with all of you, Rich. Thanks for the invite. Um, you know, known known you for a while, Rich. Big fan of the Partners Club community. So. It's really a pleasure to be to be chatting with everyone today. Um, so I'm a co-founder and head of marketing and partnerships for Gravity Legal. We are a payments and money management platform for lawyers that helps kind of reduce the pain and cost associated with accepting and managing money for for lawyers and law firms. And yeah, to your point, I was a a and am still licensed, but was a tr transactional business lawyer in a previous life, but now. Uh, like building software and technology and, and selling that to to lawyers and law firms. So, you know, you, you understand some of the pain points that they go through, certainly from the practice of law, the HR, the management, the workflow, all of that stuff. And now that you're starting to work with attorneys on the transactional side and the credit cards, you're starting to see some of the pains and frustrations they go to on, you know, managing their business and getting paid. Is that right? Well, I mean, you said it really well, Rich, where you said, you know, attorneys spend a ton of time, not only kind of in the process of like all of the education and the expense and all of that of becoming an attorney, but they actually work, I mean, by and large, and I think absolutely the, the community that we're talking to here today spends a lot of effort to do good work for their clients. Yeah. And to your point, I think you said it really well, you know, they haven't necessarily made the investment to become small business owners. That's why they show up here, but they also you know, they do good, hard work, but then there comes the whole process of actually being compensated for that work, which again is an understandable challenge of being in business full stop. 
um, but been, can be particularly challenging for lawyers because again, they've put all in all of this effort and now they need to get paid. Um, and so it's, I think it's really fascinating to try to work with attorneys to translate that, that effort. And, and frankly, I mean, they find themselves often in, you know, somewhat confrontational or challenging situations where people aren't always necessarily excited to be paying them, no matter how good of a job the attorney is doing. So, you know, figuring out how to kind of translate that effort into fair and agreed upon compensation for lawyers is, is a fun and interesting challenge for sure. Yeah. And, you know, so the other reason why this is so important, this conversation is so important is because, so I was just on a call today with a member of my private client group, and there's a small handful of people I allow into that world. And I, I talk to them, you know, once a month, about 10 months a year. And um, it's a real pleasure to work with them. Many of them have been with me for, for many, many years, almost a decade or more. Um, and, but the one team I was talking to today, they were talking about um, another business gurus event that they went to, non-attorney focused. And uh, at that event, they were talking about lifetime client value and yeah. why it was so important for them to nail down lifetime client value. And, you know, Dan, you were a business transactional guy. So uh, there is a lifetime client value in the traditional sense in your clients. When you have, you can have a client who will come to use you multiple times for di multiple different matters throughout the life cycle of the business with you. And that's great. But most of our clients are family law lawyers, uh, bankruptcy lawyers, estate planning attorneys, immigration attorneys, criminal attorneys, some PI attorneys, workers comp, social security defense, employment law. But in the, you know, in the most sense, they're, they're there, the clients they deal with in this consumer facing world are often there for one deal. And, and, and so maximizing, you know, lead conversion, which is another conversation for another time that we talk about around here, maximizing uh, fee structure, and then maximizing getting paid is such an important part of this because we don't have the margin in the relationship to go, all right, well, that client's going to use me, you know, next right. month or next quarter or next year, I got to get what they owe me once. And if I don't get it, I'm not going to get it. Now, yeah, maybe they'll have another bankruptcy or another divorce, or maybe I have multiple practice areas and they'll, they'll come back to use me for multiple practice areas, which is something we'd love for them to do. And we try to work on, but we have to make sure we're as profitable as we possibly can be on that first transaction, which is why this conversation is like oxygen. It's not everybody's most fun conversation, you know, talking about, especially my, my understanding of, you know, talking to lawyers, they don't love talking about numbers and math and finances and all that stuff a lot, but it's such a vital part of this process. And so you and I to talk about some of the things that, that are really important inside of this payment processing world. So, so let's unpack it. Let's, let's start. And I'll ask you some questions along the way. Awesome. Well, let me, uh, let me get my screen set up here and we'll, we'll rock and roll. So I wanted to start out just with a quick conversation of sort of how the world of legal payments and, and just even kind of legal work has evolved. Um, you know, I think a lot of lawyers start from the premise of bill hours, charge clients, repeat. It's fairly straightforward. As you move down kind of that evolutionary path, we've, we've seen trust, we saw trust accounts emerge where now lawyers can take funds up front and charge the client down the road when the work gets done kind of creating a better situation ideally for the for the client because they know that their funds are protective but also for the lawyer because they know that the, the likelihood of realizing that work as you said rich get you know increases then we've seen flat and contingency fees credit cards now credit cards may not seem all that radical but i mean realize that really credit cards as a as an institution have only existed for 60 or 70 years in the broader public sphere and lawyers have only really kind of gotten religion around them in the last 20 to 30. And so like, this is still a fairly novel idea and we'll definitely dive into that. But then also we see things like alternative fee agreements emerging and subscriptions. Now, you know, anywhere that you sit along this spectrum, whether you're on the left-hand side, the right-hand side, or, you know, somewhere in the middle, sometimes lawyers, like you just said, Rich, leave money on the table. There's gaps, there's ways that they don't extract all of the value out of that transaction that they could. And some of that is an unavoidable cost of doing business. But the things I want to share with, with firms today is there are a lot of really interesting ways that modern businesses, many outside of legal, 
are kind of leveraging specifically the payments transaction or the kind of interaction that they have with the client in which kind of those funds get, get those funds change hands in which they're able to increase their collections, increase their profit margin, increase the ease and likelihood of payment, um, all of which I think are really important lessons that, that lawyers can leverage to improve their practices. So kind of moving right along, the three ideas that I want to share, and I know, Rich, we already chatted, you're going to have lots of questions, which is totally awesome. But the, the three things that I kind of want to anchor us around today, um, a couple of more practical ideas, and then one a little bit more big picture. One is the notion of keeping a payment method on file. And I go, I know this doesn't sound radical, but I, I want to dive into it a little bit. The second, Rich, you already mentioned is shifting card processing fees to clients. And we can have a, a hearty and robust discussion because even for those firms who say, I never want to do that, I still think there's an interesting conversation to be had kind of in the strategy of all of this that can be valuable for, for attorneys. And then finally, optimizing collection sounds really general, but I'll give three specific ideas around that that I think lawyers should be thinking about or looking for, particularly, again, as it relates to what we're seeing in the broader economy that I think lawyers and, and law firms can benefit from. Sound good? Yeah, I think that uh, th that's a plan that I, I'm, I'm behind 100%, and I've got smaller questions along the way with each one of them. I don't want to ask any questions inside of these now because I feel like I'll give away your the rest of your talking points. So let's start with number one, and we'll dive right into it. Sounds great. So let's talk about keeping a payment method on file. So, and I went stumped forward a little too quickly. So, and actually, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back one more. I, I want to talk high level just for one minute. So this may not seem so radical. And, and I know, Rich, that, that you've been preaching this for a really long time. But when we begin to think about how easy some of the services that we use today make it for us to give them our money, um, and how really, I know, again, even though you've been teaching this, Rich, for a while, the technology has advanced to such a way that even small businesses can leverage some of those tools. So like the classic example that I'm thinking of is my kids go to rent a movie on Amazon Prime and they go, they find the movie, they happen to know the code that we've given them access to, to charge it. And it's like, boom, the movie's on, right? There's no going to the store. I don't have to get my card out, anything like that. And there are tons of experiences like that in our modern, you know, Amazon's got my card saved. Netflix has my card saved. At Disney Plus, I upgraded my ESPN subscription the other day on the TV. I, I didn't even give a thought to getting my card out of my wallet. And so this notion- I, I of would argue this... that I'm frustrated when my card isn't saved somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would prefer, you know, fingerprint payment at this point. It's just so much easier. Um, I manage my bills. I manage my, you know, my, my uh, and, and oh, oh, by the way, just in case you feel like you oversubscribe, there's actually software out there that will help you manage your subscriptions and get rid of unwanted subscriptions and, and monitor them for you. And this is how far we've come in this. I, I'm with you, man. I, I, it's unfathomable to me today to, to think that somebody wouldn't just be okay with their card being on file. It's just normal. Well, and particularly again, when, when uh, as you so nicely set us up, the, the life cycle of a legal transaction can be complex with a lot of emotional ups and downs. So really kind of establishing that expectation up front and ensuring you have that on file can, can really help out the firm. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, so what we've been preaching and talking about is this notion, we've decided to call it sort of the trustless retainer. When you have that card on file, it's kind of like having that money in trust, but you don't have to worry about all the obligations of keeping a trust account. And the first question we get whenever we talk to attorneys about this, and again, I'm sure you've seen and heard this happen, Rich, is, okay, that all sounds great, but can I do it? Like, is this allowed? And so we did some research and uh, you don't have to furiously scribble all this down. We'll give you some resources later where you can access this information. But there are actually two, and surprisingly, and we'll talk about this in a minute, only two states that have opinions about this particular practice. The, the long and the short of it is, this is totally permissible. Um, New York and Missouri, though, have come out and described sort of how you have to do this or what, what, what rules you have to follow if you are doing it. And again, there's nothing radical here, nothing surprising, but I thought it'd be helpful kind of just to allay those fears of like, hey, yeah, Amazon's doing it and you can do it too. So the New York opinion, as you can see here, says you need to alert the client right of their right to dispute the invoice before you charge them, which again, I imagine most attorneys are doing. 
the charge must comply with other rules that the bar set out regarding card charges. And then in this particular case, the attorney asked about a 20 day waiting period said, Hey, if I tell the client on the first of the month that I'm going to charge them on the 20th, um, would that be generally permissible? And the bar said, that's absolutely okay. They also said, Hey, if you actually wanted to do a shorter time period, that would be fine too, provided you comply with the remainder of this opinion. So pretty straightforward. Missouri says about the same thing. The only thing I'd kind of highlight for them is the second bullet point there that they would like the attorney to orally identify the relevant provision in the fee agreement that says, Hey, I'm going to charge your, I'm going to save your card and Hey, I'm going to charge it and just ensure that the client understands it. But other than that, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So, and not only is it straightforward, it for supports my argument. Uh, <laughs> you know, so let, let's, uh, I mean, I, uh, you know, obviously I'm not an attorney. I'd probably make a lousy attorney, but I would not have thought to to think if there was opinions about this. And I just assumed it was, you know, I, I should have known that there might've been an opinion about it. Um, but I think that these opinions support what we're suggesting, which is they recognize the importance for this and there's a way to go about it. And, and everything we teach around here about how to do it is right in line with what their opinions say. So um, yeah, I think that you know, the fact that now there's now there's no excuse. Now, you know, to your point, like having a trust without having to trust, right? Um, the, 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 which if, if you get paid via a credit card or a debit card um, in your practice area, or let me say it differently. If you get, if you're getting paid, not on contingency, if you're a fee-based firm, um, having an evergreen credit card or debit card, in my opinion, is essential. I would go as far as suggest if it's a company, where if you take credit cards because you're not bankruptcy and you can accept credit cards, I'd actually have a backup credit card just hmm. in case the first one fails. Now, I don't know if Gravity has the ability to add a backup credit card on file, but there's probably secure ways to be able to store that. But having a backup credit card um, is something that, you know, use in the regular business world all the time. I mean, uh, it's, it's a, it's not an unheard of practice. And so I, one of the things I don't want to have to do is I don't have to chase my client for money that they already agreed that they were going to pay us for the work that we were going to do. Um, and you know, my mentor told me a long time ago that wealthy people are paid in advance poor people are paid in the rears. It's just like, business owners who have to chase their money, whatever percentage of their money they chase is money they will never, ever, ever receive as long as they're in business. If you have a 10% collection rate or said differently, a 90% realization rate, there's 10% you will never collect ever. If you have a, if you have an 80% realization rate, there's 20% you will never collect. I've watched, I've seen firms that have 50, 55% realization rates. That means they're working for half the amount of money that they bill. And it's primarily because they don't have this setup. So this is, you know, for me, foundational, right? And I just, I got to be honest, at this point, after, you know, 15, 13, 14, 15 years of doing this, I'm just kind of like assuming everybody knows to do it. But you're so right, Dan. There are people who are going, you know, I probably should really do that. I bet you they're on, the, they're, they're going to listen to this and go, you know, I probably should do that. I'm like, yeah, you probably should. It's a really good idea. So yeah, I love that you brought it up. And you can, you can do it in a way too. I just want to mention that the cards are saved securely. And I think that's another sort of modern practice that folks might've, you know, maybe before they wouldn't have been super stoked about like writing the client's uh, credit card information down and storing it in a secure lockbox. You on a system like ours. And again, I'm not here to pitch. There are other systems as well. Those cards are saved securely. You don't even see the full number. So it's not like you're in possession of that and you have to, I mean, you, you want to protect it because you don't want anybody to come and charge it. But like, it's not like you are responsible for that. You can do it in a way that's secure, but also gives you access to it to charge it in accordance with the agreement that you put together, put together with the client. The other main yeah. thing I'll just quickly mention is you could also, again, just to, to sort of uh, play with your idea, you could get a card on file. You could also get a bank account on file. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, kind of going either or direction. as well, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. Um, and, and, you know, ACH uh, allows you to get away from some of the fees as well, yeah. um, that we'll Much talk about in a bit, but, but, oh. um, the, the, you know, so look, uh, this whole security thing, you know, I grew up in an era when my second business 
third business, whatever it was. Yeah, third business. It's, uh, we, it's hard to keep track of them, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> I was young and dumb, so it's something I want to forget. Um, uh, when I was charging, when I was selling uh, pet supplies around the country and I had a, a staff full of phone reps, you know, in a 10 by 10 room and everybody had a student desk, a Walmart phone, uh, a, a, a order book that was nothing more than one of those uh, order books that the waitresses used to flip over and it oh, had nice. a carbon copy on it. Yep. And they had a filing cabinet with A through Z. And then they would just take the names of the customers and put the filing cabinet in there and the order would go in the files. And at the end of every day, there was a person responsible to take all the orders from the book from that day out of the files and put them into an organized structure so they can go to fulfillment. And so my, you know, this is before, I guess it was a great defense to cybersecurity because there was nothing online. All of the credit cards were literally written on an order book, you know, in a file folder, in a filing cabinet. So that was my defense against, you know, cyber issues. <laughs> I don't think that that's a great defense day um, and it wouldn't hold water today, but look, this has being, been being done for a long time. There was a way around this, right? So yep. now we have to be wiser about the way we handle these things and, there's technology that allows us to do it. And, and that's why you want to have a tech forward company that was born in the you know information marketing age so that they understand how to handle it. So that's why we're having this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I won't bore folks with, uh, with the continuing story. What, I, what I'd want to touch on before we keep moving is um, beyond those two specific states, New York and Missouri, uh, there really aren't any opinions about this. So it's just those two that you sort of got to hang your hat on, or if you're in those states, you want to be aware of. Um, and, I, and actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and bring my slides back up real quick. Um, what we've done is we did a 50-state uh, a guide on this practice. And what we did for the other 48 states, and again, I'm going to get a little lawyerly here, folks. So um, for the other 48 states, what we said is, hey, well, there's not a rule, but what do we think... Um, kind of bar regulators, how, how would they look at this practice if they were looking at it with fresh eyes because they didn't have a rule? And what we assumed was that they might analogize it to when trust account funds are earned and kind of when, as a matter of rule, attorneys can transfer those funds from trust to operating. And we sort of said, that feels kind of similar to the way that uh, kind of charging a stored credit card might look. And so anyway, that's all to say that if you, if you go and check out our 50-state guide on storing payment methods, what you'll see is we start out with these two ethics opinions, and then the rest is kind of an analysis by analogy saying, hey, in the rest of these states, we don't have a rule on, on point, but we have this interesting analogy, and we think this is how they'd, they'd look at it. So folks can go check that out. It's free. It's available. Um, all of the other resources we'll be talking about today are available at uh, gravity-legal.com slash Richard James Expert. So you can go check that out. But that's kind of what we did for the other 48 states. Just wanted to give folks some context before they went to go read up. It's either that or it's Richard James Sexpert. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> I, have, I have no comment Just, on that. <laughs> no, no, listen, listen. My, grand, my, grandma, my grandmother would tell me all the time, 100% of the time, she said, Richie, you know what's missing? You know, from most business marketing, I'm like, what's that, grandma? She said, sex. Sex yep. sells, honey. She says, sex sells. I said, seriously, grandma, that's what you think about. She goes, look, we can't put sex in the funeral business. I said, grandma, this conversation is over. Okay. <laughs> and thank goodness for that. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's keep moving here. <laughs> I derailed you. That's good. <laughs> no, that's good. So All right, shifting process. Yeah, sex sex in the funeral business with a bunch of lawyers. We could have some fun with that. <laughs> um, uh, all right, so so the next topic I want to talk about, or that I thought would be worth uh, kind of thinking about a little bit more deeply, is is this question of shifting processing fees. Um, and uh, you know, we can have. I, I think I think there's a lot to be said here. Well, let me let me just dive in, and Rich, you can you can pull me any direction you want to go. So there. Again, this is another question that even today we get like, hey, is this allowed? So the first thing I wanted to do was just kind of walk folks through the rubric of rules that apply here. And while there are a number of different rules, at the end of the day, it's really not particularly hard to do with some exceptions in a few states. And so we'll talk about that. But before I do that, I did want to just make a quick aside and say there are three things that any firm can always do, regardless of where you are, regardless of kind of who you are. And the first is what's called cash discounting. 
And that means you can just like the gas station and people hate it when I analogize law firms to gas stations, but it's, it's a helpful analogy, um, is, is called cash discounting. And you see, again, you see this with the gas station. So, so long as you display the actual discount, um, as, as a discount from, from, uh, kind of the price of full services, it can't be a service fee that you remove when someone pays with a cash or a check. You actually just have to apply it um, across the board and then discount it. And then as long as you clearly notify clients of the discount at the time of payment, um, usually it's wise to put that in the fee agreement as well and then put some signage up. That's something that a firm can do anytime they want. So kind of setting all, this whole question of shifting fees aside, that's something firms can do anytime they want. Firms can also add an administrative fee of any kind. Now, it can't be added only for those who pay with cards. It's got to be added across the board. But if you do that, that's also permissible. And, and again, no rules broken, you're good to go. And then obviously, you can also just increase your prices by you know whatever the cost of processing is or whatever it is averaged across your firm. Those are things you can do today without engaging any of these other rules. So wanted to just quickly mention that before we dive in. Um, so applicable rule number one is that the fact that there was a, a big class action lawsuit about 15 years ago, where effectively a bunch of businesses sued the card brands and said, hey, you've been shifting the burden of all of these free airline miles and cashback bonuses and other perks onto us, not just small businesses, but all businesses. And these businesses said, hey, like we don't, <laughs> we don't want to be stuck with this, this fee, or at least we want the option not to be. And uh, so as part of that, the, the settlement in this uh, class action suit, businesses, including law firms, were enabled to shift credit card processing fees to their clients. Now, as part of this, and this is an interesting note, debit cards were exempted from this. So you cannot, it's not permissible, some firms do, I know, um, shift, you can't shift debit card fees. That's just sort of the way of the world. And I know that kind of is a bummer for a, a lot of the bankruptcy firms that you work with, because they typically uh, accept more debit cards. Um, but that was, that's kind of how things shook out. The second applicable rule is the state laws. There's, there's a handful of states. Well, actually only four now, Connecticut, Kansas, Maine, and Massachusetts, which basically say, Hey, we have a law against it. No can do. There's another handful of states listed here that have an ethics opinion prohibiting the practice. Now, the funny thing I'll just quickly mention about this is you can see the dates when most of these opinions were issued. And uh, most of them actually stemmed from this ABA ethics opinion that I referenced at the bottom, which was kind of the initial ABA ethics opinion on accepting credit cards, period. And when that opinion came out, they said, hey, you law firms, you can accept a credit card, but you can't charge more for the kind of privilege of doing that. And so there were a bunch of, of states that kind of followed suit. Now, the funny thing is this ABA ethics opinion 338, it's actually been withdrawn by the ABA. So I think there's, and there's been a huge tide, particularly since this class action lawsuit of states moving in the other direction and, and enabling folks to do it. So I think that, that you know, more and more, you're going to see it being more common, but, um, but there is, there are, there is this ethics opinion out there. And then there are a couple of states that don't kind of follow the ABA rule. They just made up their own reasons for not allowing it. And that's Alabama and Michigan. And then finally, there are a couple of rules that you need to follow when you do engage in the practice, um, just kind of as part of, of rules that Visa and MasterCard and other card brands have enforced. And that's, you need to let Visa and MasterCard know. And if you're working with the processor like us, we'll handle that. You don't need to worry about it. Again, as mentioned, you can only shift credit cards and no debit card, no debit card fees. You can't charge more than it costs to process the card. So basically you can't, you know, can't make money on this. You can only shift the fees. And then you have to notify clients, as I mentioned, in office and in your, and on your receipts, um, just to let them know that those fees are being shifted. And again, the way we've built our technology, and I've seen others do this as well, that's made very prominent. So it's not like you're putting a fast one over on folks. Um, and I'll, sorry, Rich, I just want to say really quick. And then kind of my, my big picture here is this seems like a lot, but there are firms all over the country who are doing it. And this is where I thought we could have an interesting discussion, but if you've got questions, definitely j jump in. But even if you don't shift fees, I think it's important to just think about, to your point, and you said it already, Rich, kind of moving people toward ACH is just one, one way, but there's a lot of ways that firms, if they're strategic about how they offer different payment methods. Um, you know, whether it's saving two or other things, 
they can actually kind of not only in kind of shore up their collections or realization, but they can also, if they do decide to shift fees or push clients toward less expensive methods of payment, they can save a lot of money. And, and when you think about like, this is top line revenue, right? This is money. This is cash in the door. So even 1%, 1.5%, 2% on a million dollar law firm, like that's, that's real money. Um, so I do think it's an interesting option, but let me pause because I know you were, looked like you were going to jump in and, and, and opine. Um, no, I mean, look, I, I love the idea um, and I love it more for in-person consults when they've got their checkbook in hand than I do um, for virtual consults. Um, so if I was advising a firm to uh, charge a fee for the right to use a credit card. Um, I would want to make sure that either the sales process did not leave wiggle room that we accept other payment types. Like you got to be careful because I think handled incorrectly, we run the risk of hurting conversion. Right. And what I mean by that, here's what I mean by that. So you, so you make the pitch and you say, you know, it's uh, $600 a month. And oh, by the way, here's a fee agreement. And, and it's $600 a month. Plus there's that 3% for the credit card fee. And they go, oh, well, wait, uh, how do I want to have to pay that 3% for the credit card fee? And, and you're like, well, you know, that's what we charge credit card fee. Well, what if I wrote, gave you a check? Uh, yeah, well, no, there, there wouldn't be a credit card. We can get to use, use an ACH right now. Well, I don't have my checkbook with me, but I'm just going to bring a check down tomorrow. And this way I'll save the 3%. Okay. Well, what happens is if we're, if we're not, the, the, the number one most important rule in sales, especially when we're doing these online virtual and, and uh, well, and any sales, but specifically online and virtual is to make sure we get some sort of payment today. So if they're, the firm is retained, even if it's less than we want. So we get the firm. So I would say if, if a firm wants to move in this direction and they have people who want to avoid that, what we do is we still get a, an initial payment today. And then we tell them, listen, come on down, bring your checking account you know, information. We'll put you on an ACH and we'll avoid that fee. Um, or bring your checks down and do post-dated checks if that's what they're going to do, although that's antiquated anymore if you can do, just do ACH. So I, I don't want to, I just want to make sure that if we start charging for the credit card fee, that we don't do it in a way that hurts sales conversion. That's my, because yes, you know, 20000 or $30,000 on a million is, makes a big difference. But depending on the, you know, if I got a million dollar firm, um, that, that, uh, does, you know, 30 cases a month. And I, that represents a 60% close rate. And I drop down to a 55% close rate 100%. for some odd reason. I start running the math backwards and I just undid everything I was trying to do. Right. Yep. So, so I'm with you hundred percent. I think there's real value there. Um, and I think there are ways to do it. And I think that it's advantageous. I just have to be cautious about it inside of the sales process. Um, and so I think that it's, it's not something that we should do without giving it some thought. By the way, in the sales process, if you're going to do it, I think you, you just have to script your closing statement properly and we can get around it, right? So it's, it's all in how we say something and what we say as compared to making it a negative. We just make it part of the normal process. That being said, we will get some people who question it for one reason or another. But I, you know, I, I really, when I, when I can use it and make it as a perk for somebody um, as a benefit, I, I like that. I just don't want it to work against us. So uh, I would have to watch it really carefully. That would be my only caution in virtual sales. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and my position is not it's right for everyone. Um, I, I absolutely think that different firms have to do it different ways and with different services and under the right circumstances. But I do think it's something that, and I think you, you know, I think you said it best, Rich, and this is the piece I'd want to underscore the most is kind of deploying it strategically, um, can, can be a real way to either save money or, um, kind of push people toward lower cost, um, payment methods, which 
I think is best for everybody. Well, so. and so Will Grafton brought up a great point. He said, you know, one idea, and I love it. He's thinking on the fly is if they object to the fee, waive the fee for that particular payment, as long as they bring the checking right. and check the number over for the ACH or the check over for the future payment checks over to the office within a certain period of time. Um, yeah, a little bit more administrative, but we still get the same win, right? We recapture the bulk of the fees um, throughout the course of the life, the, the course of the year from the 3%. And at the same time, we um, give the client the option to get a win for themselves. Joe asked the question, he says, on your service, uh, do, do clients have the option to switch from credit card to where they pay credit cards or ACH? In other words, can they switch it over from an ACH to a credit card? How would that have? What's the practical application of that? Yeah. So I think the answer is yes. So I'll, I'll walk it through, Joe. And, and if, uh, if by chance I don't answer it, you'll see my email at the end and you can, you can, um, you can ask me or we can, we, can, we can keep chatting about it. But the, the, the high level answer is kind of folks who use our service have the option to make kind of cards and ACH equally available for payment at any time. Um, so you, you have the option to choose one at, at any moment um, at, at, if you're the client. Obviously, we can't, well, let, let, and I guess let me finish that, that train of thought. We, we do not, we've built, we've made the decision. It can be done. We just haven't because ACH is so inexpensive. We don't shift the fees automatically on ACH. Um, and we found actually law firms tend to like that because it's a nice way to sort of say, Hey, you know, the airline miles, the more expensive one client, the, you're on the hook for that, but the ACH that's less expensive for everybody. So I'm happy to pick up the tab there. Um, kind of down downstream, Joe, I think, uh, if the question is like, you know, it's, it's hard if you've only collected the credit card information, you can't later switch to, to ACH to Rich's point that we talked about earlier. You might want to get both of those up front. And then you have the option to switch later. Um, so hopefully that covers most of the scenarios you anticipate. Yeah, or in or in uh, Will's explanation, get the credit card today or debit card today, and yep. then tell them if they bring in the check or the ACH information, you won't charge them on the first payment. And 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 as long as they get it into you before the second payment happens, uh, you you they'll go on ACH and they won't have any any fees on it. If they don't, it's going to get charged on the you know the the progressive next payments that go through. Yep. All right, good. Let's keep going. Great, let's do it. So let me let me jump back in here and uh, here again at uh, Richard James Expert, you can uh, pick up the fifty state guide on this particular practice as well. Um, so you can't go ahead even and check say that it out. With, you can't even I, say I, it's, it it's, without it's, saying it's it's not been yeah it's not it's not Done. it's not it's not good. We're not going back. Done. Uh, all right. So I just wanted to talk about a few different kind of collections optimizing uh, ideas. Um, and I'll tell you, so, and again, at that same link that I've shared before, we have what, what we put, to, we call our collections optimizer. And in that we've identified three different ways to kind of think about optimizing collections for your firm. Uh, we've already talked about this at length, but I'll, I'll kind of give you one idea specific related to this is implementing a collectorly billing model. And Rich, I think you said it best when like rich people get paid up front, right? That's, 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 the, that's the hallmark right there. The second, and we've talked about this too, is offering payment flexibility. And then the third is sort of getting organized. And within each of these, I'll just kind of pick off one particular item. Um, as you can see in our, in our collections optimizer, we've identified a bunch of them. I'm just going to pick off one in each category that we can quickly chat about. So for number one, I wanted to talk about subscription legal services. Um, and again, we've actually sort of already touched on this kind of the miracle or the, uh, the power of the subscription um, business model, legal notwithstanding, right? We see it with Netflix, we see it with Amazon, we see it with all of these different services that we use today, kind of how convenient it is for the consumer, how great it is for the business to have that recurring revenue. So we did a deep dive. This was a little while ago, kind of as we were just launching and kind of getting our, our feet under us as a, as a business, we, we identified a need that there were a lot of these attorneys who were curious about this, but frankly, for whom there wasn't a lot of information and there actually wasn't a great tool out there to help them build and scale these recurring revenue businesses. So we built technology to focus on that specifically. But the other thing we did is we did a ton of content. So we've got a um, 40 plus page subscription legal services white paper. 
a five-part blog series on on this, and all this is free at, at that link that I'll provide you. Um, but just to kind of hit the high note, like this model enables. Well, I mean, there's there's I think there's a couple things. First is what you see with a lot of law firms is kind of lumpy revenue, and again, part of that is the business. That's that's the business we got into. But the subscription model, if you set it up right, has the ability to give you more predictable cash flow over time. So I think that's a really fascinating and important benefit. I think the other thing that I've seen, and again, you can, if you listen to some of these podcast episodes that we talked, that I talked to folks about, it also really changes. And, and again, not every, not every practice area is a, a great fit for subscriptions. I get it. But it changes the nature of the relationship often between the client and the lawyer, where it's not like, hey, every time we chat, you know, the the the, the meter's running. It, it really gives the lawyer a chance to kind of more fully engage and be a part of the client's um, activities, whatever the legal matter is, that I think a lot of lawyers and a lot of clients like, which I think is exciting too. And then finally, I'll just say, I've seen this work all along the spectrum. It can work for kind of low cost, um, kind of more automated type services that just have a kind of a strong recurring revenue um, kind of element, or you can have a, a law firm that is entirely this way. I know a, uh, a subscription um, kind of legal services partner at a decent sized law firm who makes like a very good living entirely on these kind of recurring um, type subscription uh, offerings. So it really can work in a wide variety of ways. Um, and it, again, to the point of, of kind of realization and collections, it just hits every month without fail. So it's, it's a really nice, nice option. Yeah. So I've got a couple of plus ones on yeah, this. Yeah, go for it. Um, so first uh, I would say, uh, Joe has a question. We're not going to ignore your question about Clio. I want to get to that because I'll let you answer that. Well, actually, awesome. why don't you go ahead and answer that now? He's asking if gravity integrates with Clio. You and I talked about this. I had heard some reports that maybe it didn't, but you said, um, it does. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I would say we think we have, well, we, well, I won't even go there. We, have, we do have a Clio integration. Clio has an open API that anyone can develop to. Um, Clio has made the decision now to kind of let only their own payment processing system and law pay into kind of the inner sanctum. So there are some things that our Clio integration can't do. Um, but we can do a lot of what the Clio integration does and, you know, like, and, and we actually have some flexibility that they don't like the option to kind of toggle different payment methods on and off the option to, um, to again, surcharge if that's something you want to do. So, and, and, and we've actually talked with some firms who, who like the way that we do it more. So we do integrate with Clio. Um, it's not exactly the same as what you're getting potentially if they, if you're using one of their integrated solutions, but we do. And then I'll just quickly mention, Joe asked, asked about other practice management systems. We do, we integrate with Lawmatics, we integrate with Locus, we integrate with Lean Law, we integrate with, um, oh, I'm not gonna get the whole list, but there's a handful of other kind of, you know, we've probably got a, oh, going on kind of half a dozen. Oh, we'll soon integrate with Litify. We've got a bunch more coming down the pike. The other thing I'll just mention, cause I think this is relevant, particularly for your audience, Rich, we also integrate with Zapier. And we're one of the only, in fact, we are the only legal specific payment processor that integrates with Zapier. And if you're a firm who's trying to build out, and again, Rich, I think I'm preaching the choir here, systems and processes in your firm, Zapier can be a really powerful tool. And we have a lot of folks coming over to us just for, oh, and we integrate with QuickBooks as well. So that's another piece, but go ahead. What about, what about authorized.net? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. We can, we, we resell authorized.net. So, and I've talked with folks in, in this group as well. I know some folks are using Authorized to back up, um, uh, oh, God, Infusionsoft now keep. Um, so yeah, right, we so, can. So I, I, I know that you use Authorized because I use it because yeah. I've been using Authorized.net through keep for eons, right? So, right? so I use Infusionsoft, but Infusionsoft integrates with almost nobody. So a dozen years ago, Infusionsoft started using Authorized.net and yeah, it costs 30 bucks a month or whatever it is to you have Authorized.net. But then you they, that that's the bridge that lets you kind of go wherever you want to go. And, and you know, gravity works with authorized.net. So it solves all of our problems. And so a couple other things on this. So. Um, so first, 
the, the idea that Zapier is there. So you mentioned Zapier. So let's talk about that real quick. When, when you're building out um, a process for managing collections, it's super important that you can trigger things to happen when other things happen. If this, then that. If a payment fails, then do these things. Send a text message, send an email, notify the collections team, whatever, right? Send a direct, set a fulfillment letter from the direct mail list. Um, whatever it is you want to do, you want to be able to, if this, then that. And so when a credit card needs to be updated because the card um, is going to expire before it expires, you know, whether it be credit card or debit card, trigger so that the client can get you the new information and update it very simply. So, so being able to have triggers and points of communication are, are these little hinges that swing the big doors that allow us to maintain our realization rate where we want to get it. The, the, the number one goal is to get the realization rates close to 100% as possible. Let me, let me go back though, because that's a processing conversation that we may continue to have here. I want to talk about subscriptions. And, and so uh, first, if I was a business-to-business transactional firm, I would only do business on subscriptions, period. Uh, I would have, or at least as near to 100% transactional business on subscriptions that I possibly could. I would just build my sales process. So when I'm sitting in front of a new client, I sell a subscription-based service and I make it work and they see how it works and they buy, they make a choice of which level they want. And I'm slowly putting everybody on a subscription. Um, not every practice area has that type of advantage, but many of them do. Now, it's not as easy and cut and dry as business to business transactional bankruptcy. It's typically what we, and a lot of these things, it's, it's an aftercare, right? It's, it's some kind of annual review, quarterly review, some sort of ongoing monthly help or support where you're going to provide them with advice, coaching, counsel, or legal services on an ongoing basis to support their case afterwards. And we call it aftercare, right? At least that's what we called it in the funeral business. So, the, the the idea that we can build some sort of subscription that people would say yes to because we give them value at, at a high enough level where they would say yes. Now, barring we can't do subscription, let's assuming that we, we for whatever reason, either are unwilling to or cannot come up with a way to do a subscription-based service in our practice. When we're a flat fee firm um, and we take payments and we issue you know, credit to our clients fundamentally because we take a certain amount of money down today and we let payments happen over time, a couple of things will happen. If you set up your sales process correctly, some percentage, usually around 15 to 25%, will pay you in full uh, because we'll build in a paid in full discount. Uh, and, and then the rest will go on a payment plan. So we'll still get our ones who want to pay in full because we're giving the paid in full discount. And, and the others, are now on this plan. Well, this plan somewhat acts like a subscription plan. This is the future payment amount that you're going to receive for your firm, that you know that assuming the credit card charges, and that's the truth with all future payment plans, assuming the credit card or debit card charges or ACH is gonna go through, you will have a certain amount of money that you wake up to every single month. Now. For some period of time, either however long the subscription is supposed to run or however long the payment plan is supposed to run, um, you end up with not truly passive income, but to some level, passive income, money that's going to be there whether you roll over or roll out of bed, right? And so, yes, we have to perform the services, but the, you don't have to go collect it because it's already set up on this evergreen scenario. And so having a subscription base, having payment plans that act like a subscription is the number one key to the small business's defense to make sure that they have money coming in regularly. That's why when we measure, when we're, when we're getting into a flat fee scenario, even an hourly fee scenario, we're measuring how many uh, people we have on a payment plan or on a subscription, and then how much new money do we have coming in every day from new sales. And this is how we kind of are able to fast forward and look six months in advance and think, okay, I need to hire a new employee. I need to invest in marketing. I want to buy a building, fill in the blank. I want to move to a new rent place. You can be able to project forward accurately about what your future cash flow looks like. 
Or if you're a law firm that takes future payments and it takes you six months to nine months to get paid in full, and we have something that just happened like the great pandemic when there was a pullback in a lot of business, for those firms that were able to see what their future cash flow looks like, what happens is the future, the firms that were getting paid six months or nine months, for six months or nine months after the pandemic, they didn't realize a cash crunch. And the reason they didn't realize a cash crunch is because the payments were coming in from the six months to nine months before that. Well, that's good news. But the bad news is at the end of the six to nine months, they were about to fall off a cliff. And if they couldn't look forward at their future cash flow numbers, at their you know, fundamental, the receivable numbers every month to be able to determine what their future payments were and see that they were falling off, it hit them like as if they ran into a brick wall with a blindfold on. And they're like, they come to me and they go, I can't believe this happened. Why can't you believe this happened? It's obvious why it happened. You didn't see that it was coming. Well, why didn't I? I didn't see it was coming. I didn't know I was supposed to do this. Well, if you were in our world, you would have. The reason you didn't know that it was coming is because nobody ever taught you that this is how you're supposed to look at it. And so having the ability to have the transparency in your firm about not only how much cash flow you're going to have in your business is not only going to make you feel good so you can wake up every morning knowing there's payments that are going to come in so you can project accurately with what your expenses are going to be, but it also gives you the wherewithal to be able to see trouble before it hits you. And that's what, that's what gets the small business owner more often than not is the things that blindside them. It's not the things that they can see. It's the things that they get blindsided by. So, so subscriptions, payment plans, these are the world's number one defense from a small business owner's perspective to avoiding that future cash flow, cash crunch problem. So I don't know if I overdid it on that answer, but that's, that's my perspective on that, Dan. Love it. I know that's great. That's great. And I'm All right, you were going to open up another conversation. Yeah, that. no, no, let's, let's, uh, let's plow ahead. And I think we're, we're going to be pretty close to time here. Yeah. So uh, the the final thing, I, and 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 Rich, I'm gonna actually <laughs> I'm gonna actually contradict you, or at least kind of take things in Please. a bit of a different direction. Um, just kind of after that that uh, that 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 point, I think you know we talked about collect early. I, you know what? I'll flip back just really quickly because I think it's kind of fun um, for those firms who are really hung up on uh, sending out paper invoices. Um, we you know this is a really kind of tactical thing, but uh, putting a QR code on those invoices. And by the way, folks, if you can see that and you want to scan it, that will actually work. That'll drop you onto a, an electronic payment page where a client can make a payment. So if you're really wedded to sending paper invoices, but you want the ability to allow them to pay electronically, you can put a Q QR code on your invoice, have the client scan it and make an electronic payment that way. So I, I, I just thought that was a fun little one that I wanted to share. But the final thing I wanted to mention, and that you can see that QR code down here at the bottom here, the final one I wanted to mention was client financing. And this is kind of like subscriptions and even to some degree like shifting those, those processing fees. This is a, little, a relatively new idea. And Rich, you, you, you touched on it when you said, hey, when, when you take those recurring payments, you're effectively giving credit to your client. Well, there are, there's a now kind of a new movement. It's called more popularly buy now, pay later, where law firms specifically, but any type of business, for purchases, frankly, large and small, I was buying a, a ticket to a sporting event the other night and I saw uh, an offer to, to basically do a buy now, pay later for like $100, make $5 payments over the next 12 months or whatever. But for larger purchases as well, firm, small businesses and law firms have the option to effectively introduce a client to a third-party funder. And that third-party funder will qualify them and then pay, often what they'll do is they'll pay the law firm the fees directly. And then they worry about collections and following up with the client and taking those recurring payments over time. Now, often the funder takes a piece of the transaction either from the, the, the business or from the client or sometimes both. So it's, you know, there is a cost associated with it. And again, I, I will preach all day long about the beauty of recurring revenue as you just did, Rich. But on the flip side, if for whatever reason you want to build your firm to take that those funds up front, that's absolutely something you can do with these these types of yeah, services. Yeah, let, let me plus one. I agree with you. Like I started that whole diatribe by stating, look, we need you're to build giving, a script that discounts for bank. paid and in full yeah. scenarios because I want to get as much money as we can up front as possible. But yeah. I recognize we're not going to get 100% of that. And this helps you accomplish that goal. And so I would love to know that Gravity Legal is getting in that game 
uh, and going to actually be able to help them find that solution at some point. Because I got to tell you, I'm probably asked that question like once a month. Hey, Rich, do you know any uh, uh, client financing firms that can help, help, you know, finance my criminal law clients when I've got a $90,000, you know, murder case or whatever it is, right? Uh, and their family are looking to get that fee financed and and there's no fast path to it. So um, yeah, if, if you had something like that, that would be awesome or or if you can give them direction. Yeah, so two things. One is we absolutely do, again, not here to sell, but uh, you can get my email, it's in the chat and I'll we'll, we'll, we'll throw it up at the end. We are launching a pilot. So if folks are interested, you can definitely reach out. That's something and it's, we, we, we think that it will be one of, again, just one of many different ways that, that, firms can offer to allow their clients to pay that again, kind of stops you from being the bank and lets you get that money up front. So, so, so a, yes, we do. And, and we'd love to talk with folks about that. And then B uh, what you saw on the, and I guess I'll go back to sharing my screen really quick. Um, what we, what we put together and what you can find again at, uh, at this link here is we will shortly be releasing a 50 state guide on the rules of doing this in each jurisdiction. We're just wrapping up the research. It's not available yet, but you can let us know that you're interested and we'll send it to you once it's available. Um, just so, because again, what we often get with, with lawyers is yes, it sounds amazing. It seems like there could be a lot of issues around that. So we're going to make sure that firms feel comfortable, lawyers feel, com feel comfortable with this practice, but it's going to be increasingly popular. I think we're going to see it increasingly. I mean, I've used it. I had to go get my car repaired the other day. And they were like, yeah, you can pay us $5,000 now, or you can pay us this amount interest-free over the next like four months. And I was like, I think I'll take option B. Thank you very much. Like <laughs> that, that seems like a really good option. So, um, so I think we're going to be seeing it more and more. And, it, and, and when I, you think about making, making it easier for clients to pay you, I think it just makes sense, but sorry. Go ahead, one Rick. of the downside arguments that I've heard is, oh my gosh, those interest rates are so high. And there's no doubt sometimes they can be depending on the, the person who's underwriting the loan. But, uh, but that being said, if, if, the, if this is a difference between maybe literally, you know, uh, prison or no prison or whatever, having great representation um, or having to go to the PD's office, um, you know, the interest rate is absolutely worth it. Uh, there are sometimes we just have to make these really difficult decisions in life. And if this is the only way to get it done, I, I, I'm not a big condoner of debt, but I, I do condone this behavior. Secondarily, um, you know, the, the, the reality is, is there are laws to protect people if they get in over their head to the point where they can't afford it. And that's why the bankruptcy code was created. Not that I want to condone people filing bankruptcy on the debt that Gravity Legal just underwrited. Uh, but, but it's a, you know, but it's a, it's a reality. I, I mean, there, there are protection clauses out there for people that get too far upside down. So anyway, I don't have an issue with that. Um, Dan, why don't you go ahead and share your contact information with everybody I know that my guys put it in the end, but if anybody wants to get a hold of you, they can go to the, they can get the resource you talked about at the, yep. the gravitylegal.com, Richard James Sexpert. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, or they could just go to gravity-legal.com. Yep. And financially um, legal is where we have all of our blogs and, and podcast episodes and that sort of stuff. And then my, nice. my email is right there. So whether you want to learn about how the technology can work with your firm and um, and you know, whether they can put money into IOLTA accounts, take money out of IOLTA accounts, how the whole thing works, um, what the rate's going to be, do a comparison against what your rate is. Um, take a look at whether it works with your software, doesn't work with your software. What are the works arounds on your software? How can we make it integrate? Will you, are you willing, do you want to charge for the, uh, fee that was, you know, the, the get charged back your client for the processing fee? Um, how, if you wanted to put subscriptions in place, can you make this happen? Um, and, and, or how do payment plans work and how do this whole thing uh, move forward in the right direction? Look, at the end of the day, from my perspective, if you're an EA Nation member, welcome here. We're glad you helped ho here. Hope you got some good information. If you're a Partners Club family member, I mean, you know, Gravity Legal really stepped up uh, during the, the pandemic when others stepped back. And, and so we, we honor that partner and we, we, we do business with them ourselves. And we always ask everybody to give our partners a chance to see what they can do for them. And, uh, but you can tell that, you know, I, did, I, I gotta be honest, I didn't know all of the research and white papers and everything that they did on your behalf. Um, it's obvious they, they, 
Dan understands how a lawyer thinks and what's important to them and can hear the, you know, the questions that he's getting, receiving from people. So they, they went and they invested in the research. To, so you have the proper answers to feel safe about making the decisions that you're making and really back up what they're saying. And the technology works smoothly. Uh, we've had zero issues since we've done business with them. And so um, anyway, I highly recommend their service. Uh, I hope that you give them a crack at seeing what they can do for you. Um, and honestly, they, they make it quite seamless and pretty easy to do when, it, when you cross over from one service to the next. So Dan, thanks for being here and giving them some insight today as to how they can maximize their collection rate and some thoughts and ideas about what they have to go through to build some efficiencies and some other ideas of how they can make additional profit to their firm. I appreciate you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Rich. Always enjoy it. All right, my friend. All right, everybody. Uh, we're at the top of the hour. We're going to end for today. If you're watching this on YouTube or some Spotify or wherever it might be that you're paying attention to this, you know, you have to click or like or do all those things that the kids are doing these days so that you can share this with others because we'd love to pass the word if we're providing any value to you whatsoever. Uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, my name is Richard James. I look forward to helping you build your law firm better one payment system at a time. Thanks, everybody. Make it a great day.